You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. You're halfway in, you're halfway out. You're halfway around the track. It's in between the promise and the provision. Trees walking. It's the gray area between black and white, out and in, danger and safe, sick and whole. You think you're getting nowhere and then you realize you've gotten somewhere. You're not where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. Grace is starting to change you. Trees walking. It's safe to say that we've all felt stagnant at one time or another. Whether it's losing some fire for life or feeling like we're going through the motions, it's easy to have moments feeling lost. In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want a fresh start and want to change the things that you hate about your life, give it all to God. No amount of self-help books, philosophy, or hard work will save you. Only God can. Invest in what matters most and stake your claim in eternity. Be forever transformed. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Power of Again. Now let's look at Mark 2.1. I want to show you now. Look what it says. A few days later when Jesus, what's the word everybody? Again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come where? He had come home. So he came back to his own city again. Now I want you to notice the word again because I'm going to show you that Jesus came to places again and again. This whole concept of Jesus coming to you again and then he comes to you again and then he comes to you again. This is the second again in the book of Mark. The second in a few weeks, the second again, the second time he came to Capernaum. He went out and preached in all the villages around Galilee, came back to Capernaum again. The first time he went to the synagogue where they were used to hearing him. But this time he went to his house. Now let's look at Mark 3.1. Jesus went into the synagogue, went everybody again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, notice that the first time he went to the synagogue, he dealt with a man who had a demon. And he dealt, or he dealt with the demon in the realm of the supernatural, delivered the man, and the man was made whole. But this time, he's not dealing with a demon. And I want you to notice both of these miracles happened in church. Demons came to church. And this man with a withered hand came to church. It was a twisted, withered hand. And this time, he heals the man with a withered hand. And you got Pharisees standing there this time. And the Pharisees are always standing around. You let God move somewhere, and you always got Pharisees standing around. They stand like this. And they're measuring you according to their yardstick, and they got one yardstick. And they're standing there. Now, you got to get a hold of this. These dudes are sitting there judging to see if Jesus will do something on <gasps> gasp the Sabbath. And you got a guy with a withered hand. He's twist. He can't do manual labor. He can't work. His ability to earn a living is hindered. He's been deformed all of his life. They know Jesus is going to spot it, and instead of going, oh, God, heal him, these Pharisees are sitting there saying, let's see if he heals on the Sabbath. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, stretch it forth. The man stretches out this deformed hand, 
Picture a hand arthritically deformed. And Jesus healed it. Suddenly, bones popped, fingers straightened, the hand straightened, and it was as whole as the other. Everybody else was amazed. What do the Pharisees do? They go out and they, for the very first time, start plotting to kill him. Were they really worried about the Sabbath? No, they were a bunch of hypocrites. They weren't worried about the Sabbath. What were they worried about? This guy's getting too popular. He's getting all the people. We don't like that. We like having them under our thumb. It was a control issue. Now, let me tell you something. In church and elsewhere, it always comes down to control. Now, let me tell you something about church. This was church. This was happening in church. It always comes down to control. Who's controlling what? You know what kind of church you want? You want a church where the Holy Spirit can do what he wants. What he wants. But when men, ambitious people, step into leadership, they can take the control away from the Holy Spirit, and it begins to be ruled by flesh. And you will know the difference. You may sit there for a while, and like the frog in the boiling water, the water's getting hotter all the time, but that's all you ever see is flesh controlling the church, the will of man. So you're just, ah, no, 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 no. And then somehow or another, you begin to say, you know, it's getting awful hot around here. Something's wrong here. I don't sense God moving anymore or at all or ever. And, and, and you end up and you go somewhere where the spirit of God is moving and you freak out. You say, what have I been sitting in? Either the Spirit of God is free to move in a church or you have the thumb of flesh holding it down. In this synagogue, you had the thumb of flesh holding it down. Here comes Jesus, my Lord, casting devils out, teaching like no man ever taught, healing withered hands, and he's only just gotten started and already they're wanting to kill him. The flesh is an ugly thing, y'all. The flesh is an ugly thing. It doesn't like the moving of God. Now look at Mark 4, 1. Once again, can you say with me again? Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. I'm only bringing this out to show you that again, Jesus taught by the sea. You can read about it in Mark 1, 16. You can read about it in Mark 2, 13. He taught, he went back to the sea again. Now notice, he went into Capernaum again. He went to the sea again. And he went into a home twice. So, so, so far we find three repeat visits of Jesus. Twice he entered the same synagogue. Twice he taught the same sea. And twice he went back to Capernaum all in a short period of time. Again, the power of again, the power of again. And every time Jesus returned again, something incredible happened again. Say with me again, again. Now, I'm sharing that with you because I got to tell you something about the way God does. God comes to people again, and then he comes to them again. And then he comes knocking again. And then again, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, fellowship with him, and he with me. That word knock is in, it's called present active indicative Greek tense. And what it means is this, continuously, behold, I am 
continuously standing at the door of your life and knocking. I come again, and I come again, and I come again. Now you find, let's go to Mark 8, and let me get down to this healing that is so powerful. When they arrived at Bethsaida, Mark 8, 22, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. What were they doing? They were praying for him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Mark that. Look what Jesus did. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes. Now, you got to remember, the eyes are where the affliction was. And he spit on them. Can I tell you, I don't think that blessed him at first. I mean, if I'm hurting and God spits on the hurt, I need some discernment here. I need a revelation. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Here's the guy, he can't see. And instead of, oh, I'm so sorry and touching your eye, he's poop. Because <laughs> I'm trying to stick myself in his shoes. And that doesn't bless me. Now watch this. Then it says, he laid his hands on him and asked, now, can you see anything? The man looked around and said, yes. He said, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. They look like trees walking around. Now, let's look at the next part. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. When? Again. And his eyes, what happened to him then? His eyes were open after and again. Now watch, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. 2020, Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. This is such a powerful story. I got to tell you, this is so powerful. Now, the friends who brought the paralytic and lowered him down through the roof and four friends carried him on a stretcher to see Jesus. Remember that? So it was, and I call it, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. They carried him with a stretcher all the way to Jesus and when they couldn't get in, they lowered him through the roof after digging a six-foot hole in the roof. They lowered him down. Here you got people bringing somebody again to Jesus. He hadn't come on his own. He can't. He can't see him. So you got somebody who can't help themselves. I can't see. I can't walk. I can't see. And when you talk to Jesus and you say to Jesus, would you heal this person? That's what prayer is. He just happened to be on earth at that time. But they said, would you please? Would you please? So notice, somebody got a burden for somebody who could not see. Several people got a burden for someone who could not see. And they prayed for his healing. It says, literally, they begged Jesus to touch him. Wow. Now that, to me, is where the verse begins to talk. Because instead of being apathetic about it, they're saying, please heal him. Please open his eyes. That's intercessory prayer. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus answered, because it's worth noting. The first thing he did was he established trust. Now, you say, how do you know that? Because it says in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, you got to, again, let's use our sanctified imagination a minute. This guy's blind. He can't see anything. He's totally blind. And a stranger takes you by the hand and starts leading you. Now, if, you're, if I'm him, I got to have a level of trust. 
Because it says he's leading him out of the town, away from all the people, into an alone place. And I don't know this guy. I don't know him. He took him and he just starts leading him out of the town. The guy can't see anything. He doesn't know Jesus. They go a great distance outside the town. Don't you think that with every step, he had to grow in trust? He had to make a decision. But now if I'm him, I'm making a decision. I got to make a decision. I'm trusting him because he hadn't done anything for my vision yet. That's the way he does you and I. He can't do anything until you first trust him. So he establishes trust before he does anything with you. You got to learn to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You think this, they, they, he heard his friends pray. They said, heal him. Well, he's not healing my eyes. He's walking me somewhere. What's going on here? I have to make a decision. I don't know why I trust him, but I'm going to trust him. So I'm going to let him lead me. But he's not doing what they prayed yet. What's he doing? Establishing trust. God will not do anything in your life. He, he can't do a whole lot until you will let him take you by the hand and take you some places that maybe you're not used to going. Church. So here's this guy. The psalmist says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Trust is the beginning of all miracles and all of your walk with God, it's got to start with trust. And so I see Jesus establishing trust. And this man is learning to trust him as they walk. Think about your own life. The Lord first taught you to trust him. And he still has to tell you sometimes, would you just shut up and trust me? And he says that to me. The Lord led him out of the town away from what was familiar. He's blind. He's very familiar with certain things, a certain arena of movement. And he's totally left it and gone where he has not known. Now, the next thing, he had to learn to not be offended in Jesus. When he had spit in his eyes. Now, I believe at this point, when the spit hits my eyes, and I heard my friend say, Pray, uh, heal his eyes. And he's walked me out of the town and nothing's happened yet. And I'm thinking, well, it's about time to get healed. And all of a sudden, spit hits my eyes. I got to make another decision. I got to make the decision that I'm not going to be offended in him. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret. When you need God to fix you, he will often tell you to do something that offends you. You can think of Naaman the Syrian, covered in leprosy. What does the prophet tell him to do? I want you to go down and wash in the Jordan seven times. And the Bible says he was offended at the request. And he was about to walk away, but his men knew his ego and said, hey, man, if you go wash seven times in the Jordan, haven't you done something great? Oh, yeah, well, if it's something great, I'll go do it. And he went down. Instead of one of the fancy rivers in the area, he went down to the muddy Jordan but the request offended him. And he had to say, ultimately, I will not be offended in God. And he dipped seven times and came up whole. It's all through the Bible, the principle, uh, the, the, the widow at Zarephath. 
She's down to one meal, her and her little boy are about to starve. Elijah comes walking up. What does Elijah say? He says, give me your last meal and God will provide for you. How many of you can say, that might have offended me? Doesn't this nut know that I'm down to my last meal? And he wants me to give it to him? See, you, see so often, if we're not careful, the word of the Lord will offend us. And we got to get past this man. I don't know what he did. I'm guessing he did this. But you know what? He had to make a decision. You know what? I learned in that walk to trust him. So this is even stronger, but I'm going to trust him still. And I'm not going to be offended. You got to understand that in the first century, spitting in somebody's face was considered a huge dishonor. You think it would get you mad today. Back then, it was a huge sign of disrespect. It's almost like the Lord was saying, can you not be offended in me? It wasn't the spit that healed him. It was the anointing of healing on Jesus that healed him. Are y'all following me? Do you see what I'm saying? You can be offended in God. Let me give you some examples. God could tell you that in order to be healed, you need to forgive somebody that deeply hurts you. Remember, listen to Corey Ten Boom, whose whole family was wiped out in the Holocaust. And one day, by the providence of God, she ended up in a, I think it was a hospital room, where one of the guards that had killed one of her family members was there. And she confronted him. And the Lord said, you want to be healed of all that happened? Forgive him. You know what that is? Spit in your eye. What do you mean forgive him? Why don't you kill him right here? Or he could tell you to go and return something you stole with interest attached. I was listening to Jack Hayford the other day. Jack Hayford, boy, integrity head to toe. He said, you know, he says, I was getting ready to pray one day and I was going to go minister. And he said... He said, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind when I was a little boy, I stole a piece of candy out of a store. And I remembered the store. The Holy Spirit said, you want to be anointed this time when you speak? Yeah. He said, you go pay him for that candy with interest. I thought, really? <laughs> and so he figured it up, walked in. Of course, you know, this was years later, told the guy, I stole from this store. I know you don't know me, but I took a candy bar. Here it is, the money for it with interest attached. And he says, something just released from me. That may sound strange to you, but you know, the, the longer you walk with God and the older you get in God, the narrower the road becomes, but the freer the road becomes. And so, so God could do that. Um, he could tell you to go and confess a sin to somebody in order to get your life right with them. Any of these things could be interpreted as spit in your eye. Because isn't it interesting that God requires humility at the place where you hurt? Humility is a part of getting healed in the place you hurt. Jesus humbled him, required humility at the very place he hurt. That's powerful. Mm, can you say amen? amen? Or oh me? This blind man had to have said, I receive what he's done. I don't understand it, but I receive it, and I am not going to be offended. 
Following the spit in his eye, Jesus reached out and touched his eyes. Now, his healing came in stages. And I want you to understand this about the Lord as well. It was incremental. It came in series of agains. Again, again, again. We love miracles, instantaneous miracles. We jump and shout when we get an instantaneous miracle. But most of the time, it's not going to be an instantaneous miracle. Especially when it has to do with your character and something flawed in you. It's going to be in stages. This is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. Uh, it came in a series of agains. I counted four times Jesus touched him. Took him by the hand. Spit in his eye. Touched his eyes. And then touched him a fourth time. Again, 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 again. Some healings come in stages. They take time. It requires patience. You got to go to him again and again and again. The doctrine that tells you if you ask for God or God for something more than once, you don't have faith is a lie and it's bad exegesis of scripture. Faith says go back again and go back again and go back again and go back again. Sometimes you need a second touch. Sometimes a third touch. Sometimes a fourth touch. Sometimes you're going to experience trees walking. I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm sure not where I used to be. Trees walking. Amen? I'm still mad sometimes, but I'm not mad all the time. Bless God. Trees walking. Are you there? I don't like church like I want to but I don't hate it like I used to. Trees walking. I finally like my neighbor. I don't love him yet, but at least I like him. Trees walking. You got to go back and back and let him touch you again and again and again and again and again. And, and, and there will be times when you're in the trees walking stage. You're halfway in, you're halfway out. You're halfway around the track. It's in between the promise and the provision. Trees walking. It's the gray area between black and white, out and in, danger and safe, sick and whole. You think you're getting nowhere and then you realize you've gotten somewhere. You're not where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. Grace is starting to change you. Trees walking. And what I love about the story of Jesus here is that Jesus stayed with him. When he said, I see men as trees walking, he didn't say, well, you know, your faith is really weak. See you later, man. It's been real. He said, really? Really? I touched you and I prayed for you. I spit in your eyes. I've believed. I've, I've prayed for you. And so all you're seeing is trees walking. Notice our Jesus. He did not say, well, see you down the track, Jack. You should have received it right then. He said, really? Let me touch you again. The moral of the story is this. Don't resent or don't feel badly about the need for a second touch, a third touch, a fourth touch. Jesus may return to the same place, the same hurt, the same weakness, the same affliction, the same marriage, the same pain, again, and then again, and then again. But look around you, you're not where you used to be. You're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
You say with me the power of again. Have you ever wanted to change the mistakes in your life but had no success? Have you ever tried and tried to move on from your past but can't do it no matter how hard you work at it? Today we learn from Pastor Jeff that if you want to be transformed and be separated from your mistakes, you need to put your faith in Christ. It will never make sense and is fully built on belief, which is why you need to live by faith. Let God take your burdens and be set free. I'll hand it over to Diane now, who will let you know more about Hardwired. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. In the next message from Pastor Jeff, we learn what it means to be a powerful agent of change in the name of Jesus. If you're sitting stagnant in your faith and need a jump start, you need to get out into the world and set the world on fire in the name of the Lord. If you stay in your cocoon and think that you can grow in your faith, you'll never see the results that you desire. Give it all to God and lighten your load to allow for you to live out your faith to the fullest. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we study God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.